Okay, we're at the bottom of Daf Tes Vav Amid Aleph. We're continuing to discuss various things that a mourner, someone who's excommunicated, or a mitzorah can or cannot do. Now, this next thing was a very unusual thing um, that we do not do at all today. It says, Ovel Chayev Bekviyas Amito. An Ovel, a mourner, is obliged to overturn the bed. Now, why would you overturn a bed? So, it, uh, so it's like literally the bed has legs, and now you just flip it over, so to speak. All right? Now, we don't do this for two reasons. The commentaries say Gentiles may think this is a form of sorcery, and our beds are not made like in Talmudic times. And overturning them would not be a conspicuous sign. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, or Hashulon says it's not possible to perform the halachic overturning with our beds. Okay, either way, what was the purpose of overturning the beds? Well, in the Talmudic times, people sat on beds. Uh, so, therefore, they. What? Oh, they would sit on beds. And if there wouldn't be the practice over, of overturning the beds, a mourner would have to eat on the floor because you have to sit low. So as a result of this practice, he may eat his meals and sleep on an overturned bed because I guess it's lower. Okay, that's for eating purposes. Rest of the time you're sitting on the floor. Also, an overturned bed is itself a sign of mourning as the Gemara is going to explain why it is. So in the times of the Talmud, they did that. I guess the beds were simpler, so to speak. I don't think how practical it could be nowadays. Because you they sleep at night? They turn that back over? They, uh, they slipped on the thing upside, when well, it was upside down. It was different kinds of beds in those days. We don't have, we have box springs and then the mattress. Yeah, yeah. And this, but if it had legs, it has a frame, so. How will you sleep? I, it was, it's, however, however they worked it out. However they worked it out. No, no. During the day, you'd, they'd sit on the floor. But they need a place to eat. They don't want to eat on the floor. So they're eating on the bed. Okay. Anyway, now, why would they overturn the bed? The Tony Bar Kapara, because Bar Kapara taught in a price. Uh, Hashem says, so to speak, I bestowed a likeness of my image upon mankind. It says God created man in God's image. However, from the very beginning, but on account of your sins, I overturned it. Okay? In other words, he overturned the image of God was changed, so, so to speak, that perfect image of God was overturned. So therefore, kafu therefore let them overturn their bids over it when a relative dies. What does this all mean? Well, Hashem created man originally. He wasn't supposed to die. Man was supposed to live forever. And Hashem said, if you're going to eat from the tree of knowledge, then you're going to bring mortality into the world. So therefore, what happens is when you die, your facial appearance becomes overturned, so to speak. It's transformed. Uh, when you die, you totally don't look in that image of God. So therefore, we overturn the bed 
so to speak, to overturn because you have been overturned with death. There'll be some other explanations as well. But that, uh, uh, that's it. So the reason the bed was chosen, why don't we overturn something else? Uh, because it was used in ancient times for both sitting and sleeping. So it would remind him of the lesson when he was most at ease. Alternatively, the bed was chosen for this lesson because it serves as an intermediary in the creation of new life because cohabitation takes place on a bed. So therefore, we flip over that bed. So that was in the days of the Talmud. We don't do that nowadays. So now the question is, menuda umetzara mahen, what about a person who's been excommunicated and he's a metzara? Mahen bekviya samita, do they have to flip over the bed? Okay. Now, it's interesting. The reason given for overturning the bed really is not applicable in the case of an excommunication or of Matsara, but there's still reasons to say it should be overturned because of the sins. Their place in society has been overturned, so to speak, as being a, a, a received person to an unreceived person. So do we do the same thing? Morris says, Teiko remains unresolved. We don't know the answer for that. Okay, next issue. Avel Usr Basias Malacha. A mourner is not allowed to work for profit or transacting business. Okay. Dirsiv, we learn it from a Pasuk. It says, I will turn your festivals into mourning. Well, what's the connection between Pashapshat is? God is punishing us. We used to have festivals, but now with the base of Minks destroyed, it's going to be morning. But there's another connection of festivals to morning. What do you know about festivals? Ma'cha, just like on a festival. Oh, you can't work. So, also morning doesn't work. The juxtaposition of morning and festivals creates a similarity of the two subjects, so you don't work. And obviously, again, we don't want the person to be distracted from his mourning and working is a great distraction you know that's why people you know enjoy working on a fast day because i'm busy working i don't think of the fast i'm hungry that's not a good reason really one if anything should not be working on a fast day doing chuva but since most likely people wouldn't know how to do chuvas they're better off working but uh when you're mourning we don't uh, give that a uh, relaxation so now, what about Menuda, an excommunicated person, Ma'obasiyas Malach, can he work? Um, Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef says, Tashma, let us learn from a Bryce and Masechistanis. We're talking about those fasts that are happening when there's calamities, right? So there's a lot of fasting. So now, Kisha Amru, when the rabbi said, when the rabbi said, you're prohibited engaging from work, when we're not having rain or there are calamities. It was only said in the daytime they can't work. But at night, meaning the eve of the fast beforehand, one is allowed to work. Just like the fast doesn't start till the morning. So at night you can work, but not in the day. That's the fasts in general. And similarly, you will find this out. The same thing the Bryson says is the case of an excommunicated person and a mourner. So what? So the, now they listed a whole bunch of things in that uh, 
brisa besides just doing work. So when it says the same thing with a menuda and an avel, so my love doesn't uh, it mean when it says it says now the statement concerning the excommunicated person, my love akula does it not refer to all the laws discussed in the brisa, including the prohibition against working, because it says you're really not supposed to work in the day. Similarly, by a menuda and an avel, so it says. Must be that's what it's talking about. So, but you can't work in the day, and this, that's where we're just being punished in general, the whole Jewish people. But similarly, a menuda, an excommunicated person, and a mourner. So, isn't it going on that? So, we see that the excommunicated person cannot work. Or it says it's not an absolute proof. Lo, when it says v'chein, you find by menuda novel. No, it doesn't necessarily have to apply to him. Ashara refers to other practices of a public fast day that apply to a menuda and a novel, such as wrapping one's head and things like that. But it's not referring to the cessation of work. It's lavdafka. It lists a whole bunch of things, not just one thing. It's not just the one thing they can't work. There's a number of things that are mentioned. And says, and all, and the same thing by a mourner and a novel uh, and a menuda. Those other things apply, but not necessarily the lack of working. So it's not a proof from there. Tashma, another brisa, can give a proof. Menuda, shona v'shoninlo. An excommunication person can teach others, and others can teach him. Niskar v'niskarim lo. He can be hired by others, and others can hire him. Ah, shma that is a proof that he can work, because he can be hired to work or can hire others. So he can work. What about Mitzora Mahu Basias Malacha? Can a Mitzora work? Teiku, we don't have an answer to that. Next topic. Right. Yes, sir. Uh, a person in the morning for seven, eight days. How about financial loss for that person? If, that's his okay, if, he, has, if he has no food to eat, then he'd be able to work. Well, well he can't starve. Or people, or people make food for him. Yeah. That could be. Okay, all seven days. So that's where the practice came in yes. with the food. We just said before that not mm-hmm. a big deal. Yeah, but that's when if they didn't work, they couldn't eat. There's no mourners that I know by not working for seven days are not going to eat anything. It's not about food, about financial loss. That is how it is Usually, the way a person has you know if they people take off vacation they, they work their schedules around it right it's not like well now I, I can't make a living so make a why do people go on vacation They're gonna have financial loss people can get up to three four weeks yeah, a year well, what, what happened to the financial loss yeah, yeah. when it's vacation there's no problem financial loss all of a sudden if you have to be a mourner then there's a, we start thinking about financial loss so there, there's ways around it. it's not like the old days you work today, you got your money today, and what's your food today? Yeah. We don't do that. It's end of the month, you have credit cards and this and that. Usually our vacations planned in advance. Okay, so. It's a thing like a death and it's just sudden all of a sudden. Okay, it's different. so you make it up. What about when you get sick? Do you plan that in advance? Again, it's one of those things. That okay, but what happens? Does a person die because he has no food? You you have to you have to catch up. Most you know you have to make up the work that's missing, and usually there's a lot of contracts, 
they give you off certain days. Yeah. So it's it's but not getting getting food must have come from this from that time. If people were people poor, get, if people were poor. But that is what is continuing now. The way people get. But there's food. no need for it. Yeah, just continue. Today there is no. There's no need for it. You just. Uh, you go to Sobeys. You can someone go to Sobeys and pick up the food for you. You can you can deliver now. That's right. What do you call it? Uber Eats? Yeah. You know it. And, and remember, it's only the mourner, not the spouse. Right. That's right. Of course. Husband sitting shiva. So what? The wife doesn't sit shiva. Yeah. So the wife goes to the store, buys the food. Like, she takes advantage of the cook for a week. Oh yeah. Well, that's. And people think it's a mitzvah. That's right. That's what the silly thing is. They, oh, it's a mitzvah. I'm making a meal for them. What do you mean? What? So now the wife takes a vacation for it. You know, it's not like it's that hard to have food. Like it's, it's like so easy to eat nowadays. You know, you don't need your wives to cook anything anymore. <laughs> Just go to Sobeys, get what you need, and you're finished. So, a what? A good bank manager. A good a bank, bank manager. Could be, could be. Okay, anyway, next topic. Avel Asabaritza. A mourner is not allowed to bathe. And we're talking bathing for pleasure. Dixie, the Pasik says. Again, this is talking about uh, when Yoav was telling the lady to pretend she's a mourner, to fool David HaMelech. And do not anoint yourself with oil. We use this Pascarei to say you can't launder your clothes. So we're using this now for that. And you can't um, anoint yourself. And we know Urechitza and washing is included in anointing because the script Pasuk links the two. In Talim it says, it has come like water into his innards and like oil into his bones. So we're saying anointing with oil is the same thing as washing and therefore you can't do either one of that. Okay. Fine. So next. So that's the proof you can't do that. Now, So what about person excommunicated? Can he wash himself? Amr of Yosef. Rav Yosef brings a proof from Abaisa. Toshma, it says... Remember, we're talking about that price in Tainus when there's fast days because there's no rain coming. When they say that one is prohibited to engage in bathing by fast days, it's talking about the entire body. That you cannot uh, wash. But his face, hands, and feet is permitted. That's just for hygienic purposes, but not for pleasure purposes. And then again, the Brisa says... We find the same thing by an excommunicated person and a mourner. Again, it listed a whole bunch of things. So my lava kula, isn't it talking about all those things, including the prohibition of bathing? So again, low, it's not talking about all the things, but ashara on the other practices apply to the mourner and the excommunicated person, but not to washing. No proof. Mitzara mabarachiso, can a mitzara wash himself? Teiku, it's unresolved. Again, let me stress, we're talking about bathing for pleasure. In the days of the Talmud, that would be a whole big geshefft. You're going to the bathhouse, you're sitting there, steam baths, whatever, as a pleasurable thing. But just washing your face, washing your hands, uh, that's fine. So nowadays, since we are a very delicate generation of people, 
who cannot live without taking a shower, justifiably or not, but that's the reality. So therefore, uh, if you want to be lenient, I mean, the, 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 the real um, uh, people want to be very careful with this law, will not t- take a shower at all, nothing for a week. They can say, oh, they're going to smell. You don't smell so much as you think you do. So you're essentially sitting in a house, you're doing nothing the whole time. You're not exercising, you're just sitting. You're in an air-conditioned house or a heated house. No one's getting dirty. You're not working. You're not doing anything. So, so but if people are so fragile, okay, it's going to cause him personal pain. All right, listen, Nebuch, you're a not healthy person. And you have to take a bath all the time, even when you're not dirty. Okay, it's psychological. I mean, people will melt down if they can't take a shower. That's just what it is. You should try. Don't take a shower for a week and see if anything happens to you. See, not not much at all. Not if you're not if you're jogging and this and that. That's a different story. But when you're yeah, sitting you're shiva, not, you know. you're not exercising. You're not doing anything. So where's the dirt coming from? You can wash your hands and face and feet anyway. But anyway, people uh, just uh, can't, uh, you know, can't live without it. So, okay, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. The, the laws are not meant to inflict pain on people. So depending on your uh, tolerance or intolerance to pain, then uh, then you do. Again, you're not even, can't even be intimate. So you're not even close to anybody. Right? So it's like, like but that's just the way it is. Yeah. So does this include even Shabbat? Even if Shabbat is coming, you're not supposed to have a Shabbat. Like not again, you really shouldn't you should unless... Yeah. Because... Yeah, but you can change your clothes. You change your clothes. You don't, again, you don't do any external practices of mourning. But uh, but taking a shower is not uh, a necessity. And it's when you're taking the shower, it's not Shabbos. Well, but again... People are fairly lenient for hygienic purposes. So you take a, a five-minute shower. That's it. You don't uh, take a bath or something like that. That uh, for sure you would not do. Okay, next. Avel Asr Benin Lesasadla. Mourner cannot wear shoes. Again, this is what Hashem told Yecheskel to mourn. And this is when he said to him not to mourn in certain ways. He's the exception to the rule. For example, the exception is put your shoes on your feet. You're going to be the exception. That implies everybody else is prohibited. Okay, now how about the excommunicated person? Can he wear shoes? Same thing. Same price. We always come back to that same price, even though we keep answering the same question. Talk about people when it's not raining for them. It's a time of suffering. When they said you cannot engage in wearing shoes, it's only said in the city. Okay, but if you're on the road, and you're on the road, there's all kinds of uh, uh, rocks, stones, uh, you know, things that could hurt your foot. Then mutu, you're allowed. And that's why, for example, if for whatever reason person did not have uh, run, uh, Yom Kippur compliant shoes or Tisha B'Av compliant shoes, you just forgot. So what do you do? You, you take your shoes off in shul, but when you're walking home, you can put the shoes on because you're not, your feet will get 
hurt. So the same thing over here. If you're going on the road, that's fine. So how Kate said, so how about explain to me what's going on? How to do this? So you say, When he goes out onto the road, he puts on his shoes. Once he's in the city, and I guess it's not so painful to go, you take off your shoes. And also you find the menuda uba aval. Same thing by an excommunicated person and a mourner. Again, the Gemara is assuming my love doesn't mean all the things we mentioned apply to them as well, including this one. So again, lo, no, it's a shirt referring to the other aspects of public fast days, but not the wearing of the shoes. So in in those days, all they had were the leather shoes. There was nothing else, and and they, and that's understood as a comfortable shoe. Okay, nowadays, you know, you, you could put on other things, and the idea being, if they're not leather, one is permitted to do that. Yeah. Just like Tishabov, just like Yom Kippur. But when you're in the house, a lot of times you just wear socks. Like yeah. some people yeah. w- wear socks anyway in their house. Well, because so, the, the owner of the house doesn't want their precious floor yeah, to get dirty. So you respect that, obviously. You're not going to, if it's really wet outside, you take them off. But theoretically, you. You want to distinguish yourself from the mourner, so you should really leave your shoes on. Is that? Yeah, I mean, that's you should. No, no. The, the the person doesn't want a hundred people going into their house and messing up the house. You know, but to go into a shul, everybody's happy to go with their dirty shoes. You know, so uh, I'm just, you know, I have this yates of horror. I won't do it, but I have a yates of horror that certain people that I know always go into shul with their boots. I just wait for them to be a mourner, and on a snowy day, I'm going to go in with my boots into their house. And I can say, what are you doing? I say, I'm doing what you do. But I'm not going to do that. But that's my Yetzirah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, my yeah. Yetzirah. Very tempting. To, to, to teach him a lesson. Uh, there's a famous story. Famous story. I don't remember which Rebbe it was said with. So there was a Rebbe coming to a town, and usually the Rebbe would go to a person who, who's fairly rich, why? Because you need a big house. People are going to come and visit the Rebbe. So this person in particular was a devout chassid of this Rebbe, and he had a white carpeted house. Okay, white carpeted house, and this is the Rebbe's coming in the winter. So all the chassidim come for a week, and they're all trumping in with their boots and their mess, and by the end of the week, his beautiful white carpet is black and dirty and filthy. Now, the chassid would never complain to the Rebbe, but you could see that the Rebbe could see on his face, he was not happy with it. So the Rebbe said, let me tell you a story. So the story goes like this. Uh, there was a, a Jew who was uh, a, a wealthy Jew. He gave tzedakah and things like that, but he was not very observant. He did a lot of affairs. So now uh, when he died, it was time for him to be judged. And certainly he had some mitzvahs that got put on the scale, but he had a, virus, a lot of avarice on the scale. And the scale is looking bad. It's going to be a bad judgment for this guy. So then the uh, Amalek comes along and says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have some merits for this guy. What are the merits? Well, many years ago, 
when this rich man was traveling on the road, he was uh, traveling, and he noticed there was a person, a fellow who was uh, a peddler or whatever, his, his horse and buggy had gone off the side of the road, overturned in the mud. So the rich man tells this coach driver, you know, pull over and help the guy. So the coachman pulls over and they're trying to move the thing out and they're, they're not able to do it. This and that, it's, they're not able to do it. So he says to the rich man, sorry, the two of us can't do it. Maybe if you helped, you do it. He says, okay, I'll help. So he goes in goes in and it's muddy and this uh, and they're pushing and pushing and pushing and they get the coach out but the horse unfortunately died so what do they do they hooked up the coach to the poor man to his coach and he lets the poor man come into his carriage and they go and the poor man tells all his problems and this and that so it's just my only way of parnosa so he said first of all i'll take you i'll take you to your house that's one thing. And then he gave him a, a significant amount of money. He says, here, money, you can buy a new horse, you can get yourself going, this and that. And that was the end of the story that happened many, many years ago. So the Malach now comes and says, wait a minute, I have a merit for this guy. What's the merit? What do you mean? He was able to, uh, he gave the guy the money, gave him a ride to back home. That's a nice thing. So they put that mitzvah, not enough. So he gave him money. He started up his lifestyle again. Put on, not enough. So this is it. What else left to do? Malk has one last thing. Malk goes in, he brings a clot of mud and he puts it on the scale. That was the mud that the rich man put his delicate feet in and got all dirty. So he put that in and the scale turned in his favor. So, he turns to the chassid and says, you never know, that dirty carpet can be your ticket to Elam Haba. So you gotta realize it's not that important. Again, um, we're not suggesting the chassidim were appropriately <laughs> behaving. But all I'm saying is, like, take it easy. It's not, uh, it's not uh, a permanent dwelling. So anyway, so people are very particular about this. Right, how come they all trampled into his dirty carpet and they never gave it a, a moment's thought? They were so involved in seeing the river they didn't think about it. Again, they're not, first of all, they're not used to this. They're, they, it's not even on their radar. These the regular people were very poor. They had dirt floors. So you think they're noticing, you know, they, they just want one thing, to see the river. That's probably a lot of people. Listen, we're, we're, it's not our position to judge everybody, but uh, the Rebbe was sensitive enough to know what's going on. But anyway, so a lot of people, you know, tell everybody take their shoes off, even if it's not raining. I mean, I always let people come in with their shoes. I never tell people to take their shoes, unless, unless it's really muddy. Right? But, but when workers come into my house, so you want me to take your shoes off? I said, it's not raining. What are you taking it off for? It's more comfortable to have your shoes on. It's just a floor. You know, what, it's a floor. It's, it's, a, it's a mosaic. It's a, it's a floor. Floors are meant to get dirty, you know? And people would rather wear their shoes than wearing their socks. Okay, if it's very dirty, okay. Came in with mud and this. That's, anyway, so that's that idea. So that is the Avel. Uh, so we thought it's Avel, not. So 
Next, mitzor. So no proof for that. What about a mitzora? Mahu Can he wear shoes? Take no answer to that. Okay, one more. A mourner is not allowed to be involved in marital relations. And the proof is from the behavior of David when the baby that Basheva had died. So it says like this. David comforted his wife Basheva. And then, then he came to lay with her. That implies... That originally, when she was mourning, they were mourning, prohibition was prohibited. Okay? Now, therefore, it cannot be done. Again, that's the idea of, you know, also physical pleasures, this and that, all that. Now, Menuda, what about excommunicated person? Can he be intimate? Amar Yosef, again, we see Toshma. This is a different story now. This is the years the Jews were in the desert. Kolos and Shari Midbar, all of 38 years that the Jews were in the desert. Menudin Hayu, they really were excommunicated from Hashem. After they complained about the spies and God decreed they're going to die in the wilderness, it's so to speak that uh, it was a sinful generation and therefore Moshe didn't get any Nebuah from Hashem for 38 years. So they were in a excommunicated state. But obviously, Vishim Shumit Hashem. They were being intimate, they had children and things like that. So that's that's you know really a stretch. That, that whole proof, I have trouble with the proof to begin with. To tell a person for 30 days not to be intimate, but for 38 years not to be intimate, you won't have a nation. So anyway, but uh, so Abaye, Abaye said, wait a minute, the Dilma Minutal Shamayim shiny. Maybe when you are excommunicated from heaven will be more lenient with you. I told you, remember, two days ago, when they talked about being excommunicated from heaven, they said maybe it will be more strict. Now it's saying to be more lenient. Maybe a, a divine ban, we're more lenient. So the Gemara says, to kill, they'll be more lenient in that case. While a personal ban that's made by a court, we wouldn't be lenient. Now the Gemara says, we didn't forget what we talked about before. Kill, you're saying it's more lenient? But Amrit, but a couple days ago we talked about a ban. We said Amrit Khamir. We talked about the wrapping of the head and greeting others that were where they were wrapped up. So we said that's no proof. Maybe you're stricter. So why are you telling now more lenient? Sagamora so says, Well, we can tell you one thing. It's for sure different from God or from a court, but we don't know how it's different. Svuki Misafkali, we're not sure whether a heavenly ban is more or less stringent than a human ban. So, so we'll proceed to argue that marital relations are permitted by a heavenly ban. So they're going to be permitted in the case of an ordinary ban. Uh, and Abayi rebuffs your argument by saying maybe it's more lenient. And go into the other case, and push it off as well. In other words, we're not sure, so you can never bring a proof. Maybe it's stricter, maybe it's more lenient. So therefore, we do not know how to deal with that. Although, the truth of the matter is, you can't have it both ways, but it's like a double leniency. You say, one case is stricter, one case is more lenient, either stricter all the time or not stricter all the time. So that's kind of a problem with that answer. Final thing, 
Mitzara, what about the Mitzara? Malbeth Ashmish Amita, can he be intimate? Tashma, we learn in a price in the Tanya, it says about the Mitzara, that he shall dwell outside his tent for seven days. He's like an excommunicated person, and like a mourner, for and he's forbidden in marital relations. How do we know that? When it says about a tent, what do we know? A tent really refers to your wife. So he's outside of his tent, he's outside of his wife. Shenemar, as it says, after they had the Torah Sinai, tell them, you can go back to your tents, meaning you can go back to having intimacy. Shmamina, we see that you that is true. Okay, we'll stop it over there, and we'll continue next week. Thank you. See you later. Okay.